0: Welcome in Hokies fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, September 22nd, as Virginia Tech prepares for a matchup with Richmond, an in-state opponent. On episode 193 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we will preview the matchup with the Spiders, talk about how the Hokies can avoid becoming another FBS team to lose to an FCS team this season, and talk about how the Hokies can use these next two weeks to get ready for the stretch run of their season. All that and more coming up on episode 193 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in if you're listening archived on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, or watching archived on YouTube. If you are watching live on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and also drop a comment or question in the chat below, and we will get those to Will and Chris later on in the show. The Tech Sideline Podcast, as always, is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center, bringing Olympic hopeful athletes To one of the fastest growing and best wrestling programs in the entire nation. You can go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. I'm your host, Jake Lyman, as always. Usual crew on the set here Will Stewart across the way, our founder and general manager. To my left is Chris Coleman, Tech Sidelines lead analyst and columnist, and behind the scenes, Our greatest producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, as always. But we do have a new addition on the set today in our fourth chair. It is Katie Adams. She has done some work with Virginia Tech SMA's 3304 Sports, doing 3304 kickoff shows, stand-ups. Also working with Learfield IMG and the Virginia Tech Sports Network. So we welcome you, Katie, to the show. Maybe introduce yourself a little bit.
1: Sure. I'm Katie Adams. I'm a junior in the SMA program at Virginia Tech. I am from Blacksburg, but originally from Richmond. I moved here when I was about 15 because my dad got a job in the Hokie Club. So I'm a fifth generation Hokie, grew up just embedded in this program. Love this place and the people here so much. Um, I spent some time in the recruiting department as well. So that was kind of my first true love with sports, but uh, took this year off to pursue sideline reporting and studio show hosting and things of that nature.
0: Well, Katie was on our 3304 kickoff hosting last week as well, so you can check that out too.
2: But
3: uh, a camera So, your dad is Steve Adams. He is. Used to do Tech Talk Tuesday, is that right? Yes. So, that was a
1: weekly radio show. I was on his show
2: several times back in the day.
3: I, I used to have like a regular weekly gig uh, and, and go on the show. That, that was a while ago. That was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that was good for him. Now he's doing all around the ACC with Andrew Alex, 6 to 7 ESPN Blacksburg. So.
0: Cool. I didn't know that. And he does he does play-by-play for Blacksburg High
3: School football games as well. He so.
1: does. Wow.
3: That's cool. He's, he's a man of many, many talents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, for those watching on video, yes, we did finally hook up a fourth camera. Um, for now it's a webcam, you know, we're still working on getting a video switcher in and hooking up the fourth video camera, but we didn't want to wait anymore. We wanted to bring Katie in and wanted to put a camera on her. So she'll be doing the usual, uh, fourth chair stuff, which is following the YouTube chat, pulling the questions out, looking up stats and stuff when we need them. But we're also going to add some more stuff in, uh, um, have her do some. And honestly, I'm not sure exactly what she's going to do because I left it (laughs) wide open to her, but, uh, Maybe trivia-type stuff, interesting facts. Uh, I just told Katie, you know, we're going to cut to you right before the break. Have some stuff ready to go, whether it's trivia or or facts or stuff like that. Do your research. and So uh, no pressure, but it's got to be awesome. (laughs) I I know what she's going to bring today
0: just so I can be prepared and don't step on her toes a little bit, but I I want to surprise you guys.
3: However, I did tell her, and this was a hint, I texted her and said, you know, the last time these two teams played, I was there. (laughs) So we'll see what she comes up with out of that. We'll see. Maybe we'll get that story later on in the
0: show. Virginia Tech getting ready to face the Richmond Spiders. Second game against a lower level opponent this season. Hokies took care of Middle Tennessee 35 to 14 two weeks ago, but... In these types of games, the question is always, is this a trap game? And I wrote it down earlier, and I I was reading Chris's preview, which is now live on techsideline.com, that 10 FCS teams have beaten FBS teams this season. And for comparison, the last two years combined, there were only five times that happened. Is that right? Okay. It's been kind of crazy how many times that 1AA teams are beating FBS teams this
2: season. And four of them have been Power 5 teams. uh, The most famous of which, I suppose, is Florida State.
3: Jacksonville State, is that right? Jacksonville yeah, State.
2: Now, you know, the crazy thing is, like, when Virginia Tech lost to James Madison in 2010, which is the last time they lost to an FCS opponent, you know, you, you knew it was kind of a fluke. Yeah. Right? Uh, five days after losing to Boise State, uh, Tech had been a really good team in 2009 and brought back a bunch of guys. You knew you had a future NFL quarterback in Tyrod and, and a bunch of NFL running backs. So you just, you kind of had the feeling that that game was a fluke. When it happened to Florida State a couple weeks ago, you didn't, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a surprise no. at all.
3: You know, you watch these games, and I watched a fair amount of that game, and Jacksonville State was athletic. You know, they they, I thought so. Or, you know?
2: Well, it's just, they seem so, maybe, but like they also lost to UAB 31 to nothing. Florida State's just terrible.
3: You know, and then yeah, it's it's college college football, man. It's a week to week thing. Well, so. it,
2: it was also
0: a last second touchdown too, so it wasn't like yeah. it
2: well, it was it was pure effort on the play of the safety from Florida State. He just pure kinda, lack of he effort. Just, lack of effort. Yeah. He just watched he just started ball watching, you know, yeah. expecting his guys down the field to make a play on it. And if he had just kept running full speed, he would have been able to tackle the guy when he made his mm-hmm. cutback. But I, there's just so many severe problems in that program. But anyway, that's a, I do not I don't, I don't, I don't hate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, this is not a bad thing. <laughs>
2: well, Florida state, one of the power five teams that lost, I think
0: you wrote it in your preview. Do you know the other three
3: who Arizona <laughs> oh, man, I added to that preview just last night and I, can't remember. We got did, two Pac-12 didn't...
0: teams. Arizona is one of them, <sighs> and an SEC team. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt Andrew
2: lost to commodores Commodores. Yeah, right. Lost to East Tennessee State? Yes, 23-3. Oh, my goodness. And what was the other Pac-12? A ranked team? team lost week one. Oh, who was it? Washington. That's right. That's right. Who
0: did no, who, they, they
3: lose to?
2: to? I want to say Eastern Washington,
3: okay. maybe.
0: I'm not 100% sure on that. They're not ranked anymore. They're not ranked anymore. But (laughs) those are just four of 10 FCS wins over FBS teams this season. And again, four power five. There had only been three power five losses to FCS teams in the last four seasons. So it's been kind of crazy. And the Hokies facing an FCS opponent in Richmond this week. And Richmond, five years ago, they got a win against an FBS opponent, power five opponent in the virginia cavaliers 37 to 20 in charlottesville
3: was that the origin of the nobody runs on richmond or was was, that way before that was al grow era yeah
2: and that actually came on the from the saber message board yeah it did when they, Um, they when they struggled uh Against Richmond, But they time. did beat him, right? Uh, they beat him, but like okay. they struggled to run the ball, and somebody on their board said, that's okay, nobody runs. And he was serious about <laughs> it. And then that, 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 that was like 20 years ago. Uh, and
3: and that, I, that quote still lives on uh, the TSL message, which, well, nobody I, runs on Richmond.
2: I, I, also, <laughs> I also remember, uh, I guess it was 2009, when I was down at the Tech-Alabama game, uh, William and Mary beat UVA that day. And I wow. remember seeing it on my phone wow. while I was at the game. So it's, it's not uncommon. No. Um, yeah. But it doesn't happen very often. Certainly it's more common for certain programs. Iowa State's been a really good program under Matt Campbell, but they have that first game every year where they almost lose to an FCS team. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. Northern <laughs> Iowa. They, yeah, they were ranked sixth in the country coming in. They, in- they always beat them like 16 to 10 yeah, right. or something like that. Yeah.
0: Well, looking at this game, and and I hate to say it, but it does have all of the kind of elements of a trap game. An emotional loss on the road against a rival last week. You have a bye week coming up and then Notre Dame to follow. And Richmond isn't a slouch. Two and one only lost to a top 10 FCS team in Villanova. Mm -hmm. So definitely kind of has
2: those thoughts there. Hokies have to at least be focused this week. Certainly an odd game. Uh, Richmond fell behind 14 to nothing. And then they came back and took, took a 27 to 14 lead. I think they scored their last touchdown with nine minutes left in the game to go up twenty 14 So they're
3: looking pretty good at that point. They're looking great yeah. at
2: that point. And then over the final uh over the final five minutes, five oh two of the game, uh Villanova racked up three straight touchdowns and won the game. Eighteen point five percent of the yards allowed by the Richmond defense came on the last sixteen plays of the game yeah. against Villanova. Wow. Yeah. So I a Richmond fan is probably not very happy after that one because Richmond had got into the top 25 of the uh, wow. FCS after their first two games.
0: They still are. They're 24. Or they go, so they didn't drop yeah.
2: out. Maybe okay, yeah. not. Yeah, because Villanova's a good – losing to Villanova's no shame. And
3: that's a conference game too. For, for, yeah, yeah, that, that, that,
2: that could uh, that could be tough at the end of the season in the conference stands yeah. and everything. But, yeah, Richmond hasn't been as good over the last four or five years as they had been under Rocco before he uh, went to Delaware. Yeah um but but they
3: first name danny
2: you had to ask me i don't know (laughs) there's there's a a danny and a michael and one of them was the football player
3: and the other one was the coach i think it's danny (laughs) sorry to sorry to derail you please continue talking (laughs) yeah no i I forgot what i was gonna say (laughs) Uh, well you you were talking about how they haven't been as good oh they haven't uh although
2: they were better this past spring in their four game spring season uh and they've looked better this year they except for Villanova, they have uh Their schedule's been upgraded each week. They faced a more difficult opponent each week. They started out playing Howard. Howard's a terrible FCS program, so they smashed
3: Howard's terrible at everything in athletics, aren't they?
2: Didn't you watch Tech baseball beat them like thirty to nothing one time? Yeah, it was.
3: was I've told a whole story about that on a podcast. It's hilarious. Yeah, um, I think Tech was winning ten nothing after one inning.
2: Yeah, so I, then they stepped up they played Lehigh the next week who's a better team, not a great team, but a bit, certainly a better team than Howard. Uh so and then they played Villanova. You know, statistically they've gotten worse each by work worse each by week as their opponents have gotten stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh on the whole they don't appear to be dynamic enough offensively to have a great chance to to pull the upset on Saturday. So
3: so are we talking about Virginia Tech or Richmond because you just you know, two two opponents start out two and zero. Pivotal game coming up. You're ranked. Mm-hmm. You know, have a chance to win it at the end. Right. Well, yeah, you haven't. Your somewhere. last couple seasons haven't been that great. You got a chance to really kind of change the narrative, and and then they don't. And then you went into comments about their offense. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just got caught in the twilight zone there. Sorry. Well, looking at Richmond
0: on offense specifically, a lot of experience there, and reading your preview.
2: The offensive line is a lot bigger than you would expect for an FCS team. You see, I mean, they're even bigger than like some group of five teams. Like, they're they're bigger than Middle Tennessee across the board. Yeah. Yeah. On both lines. Uh, Big doesn't necessarily mean good. Because if these guys were like big and athletic, I mean, you wrote in your part of the preview, they'd be playing at the FBS level. As a group, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. as as a group. Some of them. Now, there are some good players in there. I mean, Kobe Turner was uh, the CAA Defensive Player of the Year last year, and he's a preseason All-American at the the FCS level. And Kobe
3: Uh, Turner is a 6'3", 290 defensive defensive
2: tackle. tackle. Yep. Uh, Tristan Wheeler, who plays linebacker for them, he was uh, the CAA Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago, and he's... I believe he was a preseason All-American this year, too. Uh, so to
3: put that in perspective, he's 6'2", 228. Mm-hmm. Tyler uh, Dressler. Alan Tisdale's 6'3", 228.
2: Right. Tyler Dressler's six three two forty five. 6'3", 245, plays linebacker, um, gr- grad student, so either in his fifth or sixth year. Uh, I guess, I'm sure he plays the Mike linebacker spot for him. You know, he's an all-CAA yeah. player. Um, so I, they're bigger than most FCS teams and even some group of five teams. They're very experienced. And the strength of their defense appears to be up, up the middle. I, I do think that this is a solid defense, a solid FCS defense. Um, the The offense, though, though they are big and experienced, they just seem to to lack explosives, explosiveness. Right. They're, they're averaging about 350 yards a game. And that includes the Howard game when, uh, when they put up over 500 yards. Or maybe hmm. 350 yards per game isn't right. But they, they, they haven't. They haven't been very dynamic the last two weeks offensively, under 400 yards. Right. Um, and, and certainly Tech will be the best defense they'll have faced the, so far.
3: So so I make up the roster cards for the site. So I type in the starting lineup so I notice when teams are big or small or young or old. And certainly when, when we were doing Middle Tennessee, what stood out to me was how small they were and how young they were. Mm. They, they turned out to play okay. Yeah. Um, but look at typing in stuff for Richmond. I think we were talking about this right before we started recording. It's something like seven graduate students yep. mm-hmm. start on offense and defense. And there's another three or four seniors or Richard seniors. And there's only one starting player on the entire team that's under six feet tall. And that's their 5'11 running back. Yeah. Right. So they're, they are they are a good size team, not having seen them play. You know, I don't know what their style of play is, how athletic they are, any of
2: that. It, so. see, it seems like there's a clear recruiting strategy for them to be a bigger team than all the FCST teams. They have their template, they as you're and always saying. Exactly. They, they and I bet they have... redshirt, too. I bet they redshirt. <laughs> <Ding, laughs> it, like, it. it looks like they do. There's They've a got whole... a whole bunch of R seniors. Yeah, a lot of R, R seniors. Yeah, so, right.
3: So when I make up the roster cards, that's another thing I do. I, I, I load the rosters for teams, and I throw it into a, a Microsoft Word table. And to save space... I take the capital R dash and replace it with a small r. I do a global replace. And I'm pretty sure Word said I replaced like 65 of those r dashes in in doing this roster card. That's a ton of kids who register. That's what you have to do. There you go. Yeah, if you I mean, want to win football, we're, we're going to make up. All right, we didn't talk about <laughs> the Red' Monday in the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to make up for that today. But no, th-
2: I think that's a smart way to run a program, uh, particularly Richmond. The, the other thing to remember about Richmond is, you know, they've got a ton of guys from the state of Virginia. Yeah. So this will be a big game for them. Um, I'm sure Tech evaluated some of these guys, and sometimes it can be a very, very thin line between an FCS player and an FBS player. Um, Kobe Turner. A lot of people didn't even think he was an FCS player. He was a he was a walk on, and now he's an All American Hmm. defensive tackle and an accomplished pianist. Apparently, just thought I would throw that font in there. There you go. Yeah, Uh, I I did a search on him to see if he was in any way considered an NFL prospect, (laughs) and it came up uh, about how he likes to play the piano instead of talking about NFL. So I guess he's not an NFL prospect, but he has another career he can fall back on. He may have another future there. (laughs) Well. Looking at this
0: team, and I, I, you mentioned Middle Tennessee. You looked at their offensive line. Their two tackles were freshmen, standing six foot three, maybe two hundred eighty-five pounds, Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. And you look at there's a lot of grad everywhere, is what we (laughs) mentioned. Seven grad graduate students in their uh, starting lineup, and you look at the tackles, three hundred twenty pounds. Uh, three hundred three hundred two pounds on the right side, three twenty four, three twenty
2: five at guard. So definitely a very different challenge than what the Hokies face with the Blue Raiders. Schematically, you know Tech or anybody at this point won't be able to throw anything at them that they've never seen before. They're so experienced; they've yes. played in so many college football games through the years, and and you know there's only so many plays and so many formations and <laughs> things like that that you can call. So they'll have seen everything at some point in their careers that, that Tech will throw at them this weekend. Uh. What they won't have seen though was was you know the quickness and the overall talent. They don't face that on a week to week basis.
0: Well, and could this be maybe an advantage for the hokies that usually this team plays an FBS opponent every single year, but last year because the FCS moved their season to the spring, <laughs> yeah. now it's been two years removed since they saw an FBS
2: opponent. So you're exactly, yeah that's a, that's a good point. So it really would have been a long time since they faced anybody the, the caliber of the athlete I want to say years, yeah.
0: Boston College 2019 right okay
2: yeah so maybe maybe hadn't thought about it like that <laughs> before yeah. yeah
0: well looking at Richmond's offense we mentioned the offensive line is big their quarterback Joe Mancuso a graduate student lots of experience <laughs> he's played in 38 games 20 starts and he's looked Decent through his first three mm. games, a
2: guy who could at least manage the game against the Hokies and isn't going to make too many mistakes, you would think. We wouldn't think so. Um, although, you know, he'll see a different type of speed from defensive backs this week that he hasn't seen. Uh, we'll see if Jermaine Waller can have his fourth Fourth for four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, although, if he skips a game, skip it this week and then bring it back against Notre Dame. Yeah. That would be preferable, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, he's, he's a big guy, just like everybody else on their team. Uh, The thing I noticed about their offense, and I probably should have put this in the preview, but they're really good at time of possession. So I think they understand that they're probably limited a little bit from an explosive standpoint on offense. They really do a good job of trying to control the clock and shorten the game and things like that. So this is really kind of like an FCS version of Virginia Tech, except, you know, they're 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 a bigger fcs team than virginia tech is fbs team um but but similar style from a strategy standpoint it seems like so i I would expect them to do that on saturday I, i would expect uh I wouldn't expect them to be snapping the ball with 20 seconds left on the play clock or anything like that. They're they're going to want it to go down. So uh,
3: and, and Tech hasn't been actually playing on much of a pace this year either. This this could be one of those games where each team runs <laughs> 65 plays. You get right. s- six possessions for the entire game or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's interesting because I I I, I kind of went hard to the hole in the Middle Tennessee prediction. I predicted 45 to 10, and I'm, I'm over that. And I don't remember exactly what I picked here. I'll look it up before we before we say later. But I definitely dialed back on the expectations as far as the score. Just you know, having this conversation makes me think: uh, look up what the over/under is, and maybe bet the under.
2: Well, well there is no line on this game, so good luck. Yeah.
3: That, okay. Dude. I didn't. I didn't figure that probably would <laughs> Well, I wanted to mention Virginia Tech's offense.
0: There's been a lot of flack thrown towards Brad Cornelson in this offense after the West Virginia game. I know it's not what's going through their mind in the locker room or in the coaching office, but could this be a prove it kind of game for Brad Cornelson, where say, you know what, we're going to go throw up fifty
2: and kind of silence people f- for a couple of weeks before Notre Dame. I think if you're an offensive coordinator, if if you if you do have a game like that, people are going to say, yeah, but you were playing Richmond, R- yes, yeah. right uh so I don't think there's much he can do with that at this point I don't think there's much most offensive coordinators can do you're always one bad performance away from getting thrown under the bus um, I think everybody think. Everybody thought before this season that Tony Elliott was one of the nation's elite offensive coordinators, and now Clemson can barely score. Yeah, they can you, barely pick up a If you haven't been, been paying down. attention,
3: Clemson is...
2: They've scored 17 points against FBS competition this year, I believe.
3: Yeah, and, and this... remember, I think we talked about this on the podcast the other day, uh, their, their quarterback, DJ Uyunglele. Perfect. I believe is last in the ACC in yards per attempt. He is.
2: Yeah. Is... Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where... Oh, you know, I'm going to go into this in an Inside the Numbers article tomorrow. Um, Tony Elliott down at Clemson, he's only ever coached at Clemson. So he's never had to adjust his offense based on strengths and weaknesses of personnel before. Because his personnel has always been like Heisman Trophy level at quarterback and running back and even some wide receivers. And now this year where their talent level isn't quite as good, they can't function. I don't think he knows how to adjust to not having the top players um Cornelson if you look at his FEI if you look at Virginia Tech's FEI offensive efficiency rating since he got first got here in 2016 tech has been in between 35th and 52nd i think every year uh or 55th or something like that so the performance of performances have been extremely consistent like he's capable of i think adjusting his offense both schematically and from a strategic standpoint and a tactical standpoint Capable of adjusting it to the strengths and weaknesses of his weaknesses of his personnel, particularly yeah. his quarterback, uh, he's good at that because he's always had to be. He's never been at a program where he had the best players available uh, that you could possibly get. Um, the funny thing is, like I think if you switched, like I think Nelson would do better for Clemson this year than Tony Elliott could do for for Clemson this year because he's got experience coaching up offenses, so to speak, you know, limiting their weaknesses, taking advantage of the advantage of the strengths they do have. Elliott's never had to do that before. Whereas I think maybe Elliott, if you put him on the 2016 Virginia Tech offense, which was probably peak talent level for the VT offense on the whole, Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe they would have done better in 2016 with a guy like Tony Elliott. So I I think certain offensive, well, all offensive coordinators, I think have strengths and weaknesses and, I don't think anybody ever saw Tony Elliott's weaknesses until now because they, they were covered up by just incredible levels of talent. But to me, I think what it seems like is his weaknesses, his inability to adjust to strengths and weaknesses of his players. And that, that's Cornelson's strength.
3: So that gets back to the old, a couple of thoughts as I listen to all that. That gets back to the old Norm Chow thing. Mm-hmm. Where he was, he was an offensive coordinator. Where was he? Oh, that oh, was
2: USC. So he had, yeah. he had Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. <laughs> Their backup running back was a first-round pick. For goodness' sake, no, I remember that. Yes, yeah, and, and you, well, you were monitoring the boards back then. You remember the big topic of conversation every week was, we need an offensive coordinator like, like Norm, Norm Chow. Chow. That's yeah. literally what people would say. We need an offensive coordinator like Norm Chow.
3: And and where did he go to be head coach after that?
2: Oh, uh, he went to the NFL. He went to the Titans. But but I, I, th- I
3: think it was like an OC. I think he became an OC at another college he program or. Like he that. did and
2: after he failed in the nfl he went back to ucla same city so you're recruiting okay. the same players basically yeah. to a certain extent
3: and his offense three years in a row finished outside the top 100 yeah you know so it's 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 all about it's all about fit it's all about who, <laughs> who are the players you have how's the program right. structured so the other thing that that stood out was that uh chris said that kernelson could probably be doing a better job at clemson than tony elliott is and i'm thinking <laughs> Katie, are you paying attention to the YouTube chat? (laughs) YouTube Uh, chat just doubled. doubled. Uh,
2: Well, I mean, they've scored 17 points in two FBS games, right? I think it's two FBS games. I don't remember who that second game they played was against. I thought it was an FCS team, but I could be wrong. But at any rate, they only scored 14 against Georgia Tech, and that's the fewest amount of points anybody scored against Georgia Tech all year. And Kennesaw State scored more against Northern Georgia. Illinois. Northern, Northern, Northern Illinois Illinois scored more points. Than so so than this Clemson. this
3: is not good for the ACC to have Clemson be falling from their perch. Have Florida State be zero and three? Is Miami one and two?
0: One and two should be zero and three. They yeah. certainly
3: could be. You know, yeah. and, and so there is an article today. I, I think I read it on ESPN about uh, about Florida State and Miami and why they're struggling. You know, Florida State it's a little different. They're they're in the middle of a big rebuild. And uh, so the author, I I can't remember who wrote it. It may have been been Andrea Edelson, but she was basically saying, you know, the fans need to hang in there. You can't hire, you can't fire another coach two years into his tenure. You you can't,
2: but they should.
3: You think they should fire
2: Mike Yes, I I do. Really? Uh, Not not because he's done anything wrong. He's never built a program before. They need to be built from the ground up. He took over a very strong Memphis program. Yeah. I mean, he took over. Fuente left him, right? Yes. He inherited a program with uh, that running back who was arguably the best in the country. Uh, they they Antonio had Antonio Gibson. They had two NFL running backs on that team that Fuente had recruited. I know, yes, believe it or not, <laughs> NFL running backs that Fuente <laughs> recruited. But uh, that was a very, very strong program that out-talented the vast majority of teams he had to play.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, it didn't need to be built. All he had to do was get in there and say, "Here's our offense. Here's our defense. Let's go play." The whole culture at Florida State just needs to be. I, I just. I mean, they they need a coach who has done that before. The thing is, there's not very many of those who have.
3: It, it, it's hard because he said I was reading in the article. He said words to the effect of, "We've got guys doing things in games that they don't do in practice." Right. He said they'll do it right in practice, and then for whatever reason, they're they're not doing it the same way in games. Mm-hmm. They 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 need to compensate for something or or. Make a spectacular play or something like that. So you're right. He seems to have a culture issue.
2: Yeah, going well, on. Well, Florida State's all had a culture issue for most of the last decade. I think. I mean, it didn't start with him. I mean, it extends all I the think way. It
3: started under Jimbo.
2: It started under Jimbo, but it even extends further than that with the F- FSU Boosters Inc. Right. Like not getting along with the athletic director or the head coach you've got. So there's a power struggle in there and all that always bleeds down, man. Like a, yeah. their whole, it's not just their football program. I think it's their whole athletic department needs a. Needs, needs an enema. Right, yeah, exactly. That's what the Joker said That's in the original. Man, the original this town needs an enema. <laughs> so anyway, we don't mean to talk too much about Florida State, but well, I, I don't think. We're Nor-
3: previewing Richmond, so it's okay. I, I, yeah. I, I don't
2: think Norville like deserves to be fired, but I don't think. His his history as a head coach doesn't he doesn't have the experience rebuilding a program. He has the experience taking a strong program and continuing to win games. Well, you, know, when you look at, at if we're going to stay on
0: this tangent, you just look at the ACC landscape of coaches right now, and it's hard to find more than a handful that aren't on the hot seat right now. It seems like almost every single program there's a chance that their guy's gone at the end of the season. Yeah.
3: So Max, not uh Broncos, not Bronco's on. Uh, Bro- no. Max just on a retirement watch. That's who's, so who's the BC coach. Um, Jeff, Jeff Halfley, Halfley. Halfley. Yes. He's yeah. not, they're yeah. not, but
0: yeah. outside of that group of four, can you think of many others? I mean, Dino Babers at the white wake.
3: Did, uh, did
2: we say wake wake?
0: Yeah. Clawson. Clawson, yeah. Clawson. A really well, good
3: coach. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, you know, to, to back to the conversation a little bit more, Miami's a little different situation where they went eight and three last year, brought back a lot of guys, including their quarterback, and you know the loss to Alabama's not a surprise, but but their offense is not functioning well. Their quarterback's not functioning. They're
2: well. they're, a, they're a program that's more style than substance, and that extends uh, as always. As always, I mean that extends all the way up to their head coach. You know, when we were down at ACC Media Week uh, down in Charlotte this this past summer. Tread carefully carefully, I'll put it like all the other ACC head coaches were back in their hotel room getting a good night's sleep. And uh, Manny Diaz was, was he was the flash. He was out with the media, you know, uh, with his big expensive watch and just let, being in a Miami let, let football. Let me sum coach. it
3: up. I stayed at the bar fairly late and so did Manny Diaz. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah. Talking to the ESPN people and just, <laughs> just, just being, being a Miami football coach, but there was no, now he was behaving. He was he, behaving. He, yeah, he, we was were just, he was just to, up late. Yeah, right, right, and it's just—I uh, don't
3: know—it
2: just doesn't seem to indicate. I think he talks a good game. He really did. He, he, he yeah, he, yeah and, I remember and, that
3: him being up there on the on the stage, and he's yeah, a chatterbox.
2: Yeah, he could talk. It's just—I just don't think he's. I, they had not, a good year not, last year, but um, I just don't think he's. I don't know the Miami will ever.
3: Culture cool. changes are hard. Yeah. And when you've been building a culture for a couple of decades, it, it's hard. And, to, and, it, to, and, to it's and
2: it's so hard that, like, it's partially ESPN's fault. You know, that they, they ran the program about the U. And Miami developed such a reputation that I think that for a while there, I remember Michael Irvin going into the locker room before Miami practice one time and just yelling at the Miami players. And this is well after Michael retired from the NFL. And he was yelling at the Mm -hmm. Miami players, telling them, you guys are basically just going out there and not doing anything. But you think because you've got a U on the side of your helmet that you're going to win football games and that you deserve to be praised. You don't understand that we had to work so hard. You don't deserve the. You don't understand the mentality we had. You guys aren't tough enough.
3: I've, I've said and, this many times. I don't care for the way they behaved back then, but they wanted to win. Right. They worked hard. Yeah. and They wanted to win. And I just
2: don't. I don't. I think the same thing has happened to to a certain extent to the 757 in the state of virginia we've had this conversation before and that's partially virginia tech's fault like i remember back in tech had so many great players from the 757 back in the day but i I mean i remember back around 2005 when the player when the players from the 757 who played for virginia tech started wearing the 757 eye black under their eyes and it was like they really made it they really wanted to make a point of where they were from yeah and so I, you're seeing a mini Miami situation out there where I just I don't think. I don't think the current crop from out there really understands the toughness that those old players from out there have.
3: Yeah, and, all, those, all those long-term legendary coaches, and they were tough players.
2: They yeah. were tough players, and and now, but I, I and I think some of those old-school players are feeding into it. I mean, I, I you see guys like Cam Cheeler, Ch- Cam Sheedler, Cam Chancellor, <laughs> tweeting stuff out like uh, everybody's they're born different in the seven-top seven, and I'm like. Don't tell them that cam. I mean, you, you don't, <laughs> don't, don't inflate their egos. They, they need to understand hard work and toughness and not whether they have a fourth or fifth star next to their name and and, and where they're from and things like that. I mean, or how
3: many Instagram followers they had, I
2: mean, Cam chancellor was a 180 pound two-star recruit who turned yeah. himself into an all American. Yep. Um,
3: He wasn't born that way. He
2: wasn't born that way.
3: I think you look at
0: Miami back in the day and you see all these guys who are perennial all pros in the NFL, Michael Irvin, Ed Reed, Frank Gore. You don't see a lot of great NFL players coming out of Miami over the last few years, maybe highly recruit or touted prospects, but they're not making it in the NFL. Yeah.
3: Anyway, anyway, so anyway, back to our Virginia Tech. I podcast. want
0: I, I'll pull it back in a little bit yeah. here. both of those fan bases FSU and Miami maybe having thoughts about their coaches a lot of talk about Brad Cornelson with the Hokies fan base. if he has a bad game this week, let's say the Hokies put up 25 points on <laughs> Richmond. It's an overreaction to, say, blow it up off of that uh, kind of game because this is a decent defense that
2: Richmond's throwing out there on Saturday. I'm, I'm, my Inside the Numbers article tomorrow I think is going to be one of the best I've ever written. Um, Sell ev- it, man. Sell it. Everybody everybody <laughs> has, and me included, uh, looking at college football is through traditional stats is so 20th century. Um, and I don't know why football fans and football analysts and football media people like on ESPN haven't made this transition like baseball fans and baseball media have. Like baseball, you don't just look at, oh, here's his batting average, here's his RBIs, and here's his home runs. That When I was growing up, that's what you did. And now you've got advanced More, Yeah, on uh, base plus slugging, which I think is probably the most important yep. of them all. Um There are so many advanced stats in football that nobody pays attention to that are so much more important. Um, Like the example I'll I'll use right here. How about available yards? Available yards is the one I'm going to use. Uh, So let's say Team A and Team B are playing each other. Team A starts out their drive. They get a turnover, and they start out on the 50-yard line, and they drive 50 yards for a touchdown. And so they – gained 100 percent of their available yards team b starts at their own 20 yard line they drive 70 yards and kick a field goal they have more total yards than team a so they're higher in the total offense rankings than team a but they're losing seven to three yeah Right, so uh, Virginia Tech actually ranks, I believe, fifty first in the country in available yards this year, which means they they've gained a route around up around forty nine percent of the yards available to them at the beginning of each drive.
3: Yeah, so you round up to fifty percent if they start on their twenty. On average, they've gotten to the other teams forty. Right on
2: average, uh, right. and that ranks fifty first or so in the country out of one hundred thirty teams. Uh, where they've struggled, obviously, in the red zone. But generally speaking, they have not had as much trouble moving up and down the field. They, there's just not as many possessions in a Virginia Tech game. Like like Central Florida ranks, I believe, sixth in the country in total offense, and Virginia Tech, I think, is 107th. But Virginia Tech has gained a higher percentage of available yards than, UC, than UCF. UCF just runs a lot more plays and runs at a faster pace. They're not more efficient. They'll, um, they'll go three and out four
0: times, but also... Go to the you, you, score touchdown right, eight right, times. Right. There's
2: something. just a lot more plays in their games. So Syracuse is another. Syracuse averages, I think, almost a. What? what let's see. Syracuse almost is like ten percent below Virginia Tech in available yards, but they're thirty fourth in total offense because Dino B- Babers thinks it's.
3: He, doesn't he run like eighty or ninety plays? He's not the game. doing he's it as much
2: this year, but but they're still they get. They get the ball a lot. There's more possessions in a Syracuse game. Um, yeah. So total offense, total defense, scoring offense, scoring defense isn't necessarily necessarily reflective of how good a, a team is or isn't these days. That's a very, like I said, 20th century way yeah. um, of looking at it. I, and you've seen the media. You've seen ESPN embrace modern baseball. Analytics, but you don't see them doing it as much with football. Like you, like you know, you turn on a football broadcast, and the announcers like, "Oh, this team ranks this in total defense, and and things like that." So the big issue for Virginia Tech's offense is uh, is red zone offense.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: they're getting there, yeah, they're no just question. not converting w- when they do get there. There's going to be fewer possessions in a Virginia Tech game, so you're not going to have as many total yards.
3: So just kind of continuing that thought, he's 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 correct about all that. I, I wonder. You know, you're talking about the the world at large, and, and you're correct. But also, I think among Virginia Tech fans, the whole the the Bud Foster uh, era and aura about Bud was all about total defense. Mm-hmm. Finishing first in the country in total defense right. three or four times in his career, I yeah, think. Yeah. There was one year where Bud's teams were. Fourth, first, first, and fourth in total defense. <laughs> yeah. And that that was the Vince Hall. That was uh, like the Xavier first four day.
2: years of the ACC when we joined yeah. the
3: ACC. Yeah. That, that, and and he, had, boy, he had the most talent and he had the best set of linebackers I think he ever had. So that's also part of it. You think of it in that way. But I always, and this isn't an advanced stat, don't get me wrong, but I, the thing I always paid attention to with Bud Foster's uh, defenses was what is their third down conversion percentage? And his best defenses one year his team held teams to 22 percent just yeah. mind-blowing numbers <laughs> yeah. now justin hamilton's defense is having a pretty good year and they're at like 32 or 33 percent right now they're anything uh, below
2: and they're, and they're 24th in the fei defensive efficiency even though they're only like 74th in total defense yeah, right?
3: so so, right. The, so there are some statistics that tell you more than others and and there's that old thing of how time of possession is a meaningless stat yeah it is yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that might be a good time to
0: get towards our break. But first, we have Katie here today, and we're going to send it over to her for her, her segment. We're going to come up with a name for, for what it, this is called. But Katie's Corners, Katie, too. And uh. It's a little bit <laughs> cheesy. That's what I said last night on the phone, but we'll, we'll figure out something.
1: Right. All right, little tidbit for you here. I want to touch on Caleb Smith really quick. Obviously had a phenomenal game last weekend um, and good timing because this weekend his family would be in town to watch their alma mater. His father played football for the Spiders from 1988 to 1990, so he just missed – That last meeting between the Hokies and the Spiders in 86, I want to say.
3: I did not know that.
1: Um, And then mom, of course, played basketball for the Spiders. So, a little family rivalry going on this weekend, but I'm sure they'll be cheering for the Hokies. So, this may sound
3: like a silly question, but they met at Richmond, right? They were there at the same time. That's what I would
1: assume so. I don't see what year his mom was there playing basketball, but I think that would be a good guess to say. Late 80s, early 90s.
2: His best friend played for Richmond, too. Uh, I met him at Tech Media Day through Evan. And his best uh, friend played for Richmond, and... Went to the NFL, got drafted. I don't think he's in the NFL right now, but he he was in the NFL for huh. the last couple of years, and uh, so yeah, he he was always he was talking about trying to bring, bring his best friend to the game too. I want to say I forget which team he played for, maybe the Eagles or somebody like that, or the Giants. Hmm. Maybe
0: was uh, it a quarterback? I don't know. I know LaLeta was the quarterback who he got drafted from Richmond a few years uh-huh. ago to yeah. the Giants, but that's sure. but
2: the yeah, um... Caleb's got a big Richmond. Richmond background, for
3: sure. So uh, his dad was there from 88 through 90? Yes. Did you say what position he played? He played safety. Safety. Okay. Very cool.
1: Lots of other Hokies from that Richmond area as well. I tried to kind of look at the roster to see who had teammates from high school and whatnot. The biggest showing was from Sharando High School, which obviously Kelly Lawson went there, but not really in the mix. Um, Tink Boyd had one teammate, but people like Payute, obviously, Uh Kyle Lowe. Lots of Richmond showing this week.
2: Yeah, you've even got out of state guys who are going to play against each other. Like, uh, for example, uh, Caden Moore, who starts at right guard for Virginia Tech. One of Richmond's starting linebackers went to the same high school as Caden Moore, <laughs> so they know each other, and they're from Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And they're going to be going. You know, he's going to be blocking his might, high school might team encounter him. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
1: Noral Pollard too. I think there was a guy from Apopka. Is that how you say uh, it? Florida? I assume that's how you say it. Him and Kendricks both from that area, so not sure if it's the same high school, but. Pretty cool dynamic this week. All
3: right, good start. What else you got?
1: <laughs> All right, Trivia <laughs> trivia-wise, obviously, Jermaine Waller's living up to his preseason hype. Three picks in three games. Who was the last Hokie to have three picks in three games?
3: Oh, my goodness. Now, can... Hmm. Can that include somebody like intercepting three passes and, and one then, game? Yeah. Well, or you, or, or you does it have
1: to be three consecutive, consecutive games
2: with an with an interception?
0: Correct.
3: Wow. Okay. Mm.
1: It's easier than you think. Honestly. I didn't
0: get the answer from her, so I'm uh, thinking uh, to uh,
3: Fuller. Kendall Fuller. No. Okay. Sooner
1: than him. He's on his team actually. More recent? Yep. He's, He's on, on his team, team currently. How
2: oh, about that? Oh uh, I would have to be Chamori.
1: It's Dax Hall of Dax,
3: Dax had interceptions wow. three games in a row?
1: 2019, he picked off Notre Dame's quarterback. He had a pick in the weight game and then the Georgia Tech game as well.
2: Oh, that's right. Wow. That's a good one. That is a good one.
1: Completely slipped <laughs> <in> my <laughs> mind. Let's go to break. I'm done.
2: Mind blown.
3: <laughs> and then just
1: one more kind of going off that. Obviously, Waller will look to make it four picks in this game. Who was the last player to have four consecutive picks? How far back oh. do I need to go? <laughs> G- G- this is 08. 08. It was the season Ooh. that this happened.
0: I was gonna say Hosley because he has the most in a season, correct?
2: But that was 2010. He yeah, I don't know if he was on the team in 2008. I think I don't. Yeah, no. 2008. Well, that that would have been
3: DJ Parker at safety. No, he was
2: gradu- graduate. He was going in 2007. By then, yeah. Stephen Virgil.
1: It's Macho Harris. Macho. Uh, uh, <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> okay. Richmond, and he returned
3: way. all of them for touchdowns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do y'all know how many picks the current U of R quarterback has on the year? Because is this going to be easy for Waller, or is this going to be a challenge, too? I, I was just looking
3: earlier. He's got six touchdown passes and two interceptions. Yes. Um, and that in three games, he has thrown the ball 87 times, so they're going to put it in the air maybe close to 30 times. So.
2: Speaking yeah. of interceptions, did you see that Bailey Hockman got benched and quit? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. So
3: so you didn't see that? So, I did so, not. I
2: saw they got shut out against UTSA. Charlie Brewer, too. No, he didn't even play in that game, I don't think. Oh.
3: Uh, they, or
2: they did. I think they scored 13 in that game. But I looked at their box score and noticed he wasn't in there. And then it comes out yesterday. That like is these, just like, so weird Well, Well, me. you know, last year doesn't count for these guys. And uh, – some, and a guy like Charlie Brewer's doing the same thing, right? So maybe if you didn't redshirt and you you've played in fewer than four games this year, you can count this year as your redshirt and come back and and transfer and play somewhere next year.
3: Yeah, it's a good point. So it's so, kinda so, like so a, you'll see some you'll see a ripple through the college football world in those first four games of guys doing stuff.
2: Well, like it's it's like uh, the first guy to do it was the old Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant. Yes, when Trevor Lawrence took over.
3: Yeah Jalen Hurts did
2: it as well right.
0: Kelly
3: Bryant played four games And then said I'm, I'm shutting gone. it down uh, Right and,
2: and that's And of course Trevor Lawrence Got hurt the next week And they needed a backup quarterback
3: and to come in And it was
2: Chase Bryce Who's now the Appalachian State <laughs>
3: After going through Duke Yep so Connect the dots yeah. Very good
2: And other, nobody has quarterback depth These days by the way, because of stuff like this. Yes. Right. How can you possibly have quarterback depth when stuff like this happens all the time?
0: Especially with the free year last year. Yeah. It's pretty much if you weren't getting playing time, you were, you were leaving. Yep. All right. All right. Anything right. else for you, Katie?
1: That about wraps it up. There was one stat that I wanted to find. Obviously the Hokies have a big non there. I mean, they're not going away for the next six weeks, which I wanted to look back and see when was the last time Virginia tech was at home including that bye, we got six weeks in a row here that they don't go on the road again so i looked back to the schedules to see is was there a year where you know they stayed in blacksburg for six weeks consecutively i don't think there is ever to date ever but they back in 2010 or 2008 um they played four home games in a row and that's as close as it got honestly
2: you know and when we were when we were in charlotte when we got breakaway interviews with Fuente, he looked around the yeah. table and said, "Have any of you guys ever seen a schedule like this?" And da- uh, even seen... da- even David Teal, who has seen every schedule in the book, <laughs> was like, "Nah, never have."
3: My answer would have been, you know, and we brought this up before the nineteen ninety five schedule, which was ninety five, which was the other way around. Well, I it was think.
2: two games at home and then a bunch on the then road. then a road.
3: whole bunch on the road and then like a couple at home at the end. Yeah. And there was also the season from hell, which was. Ninety or ninety-one, where they did the same thing. They played five really good teams on the road in a row. Um, I think that was ninety-one. Yeah. So
0: well, it it is a crazy stretch. West Virginia game September eighteenth. The next road game October thirtieth against Georgia Tech. And and, but then obviously after that, Mm -hmm. four of the last five I
3: want to say are on the road, including Miami, UVA, Boston College is on the road this year. Yeah. Yes. I hate playing at that place. God, I hope. I don't
2: like injuries, but since the injuries already occurred, I hope Djokovic is not back for that game. You know they only <laughs> threw for thirty-five yards this past week against nice. Texas, so yeah. that's an extra win if he can't play.
3: Who's there? Who's there? Anthony Brown. Where's he playing now?
2: He is at Oregon.
0: I want to say yeah, with the Ducks. They are third in the country right now. So. Yeah. Well, that'll send us to our our break here uh, on episode 193 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we're going to get a little bit back towards the Spiders for a little bit. Preview Richmond a little bit more. Look at this next two-week period as the Hokies have Richmond, then a bye before Notre Dame. And then we'll get to your YouTube questions after this. We'll take a break here on episode 193 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 193 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We've got a full crew on set. Jake Lyman, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman... Katie Adams to my right in our fourth chair. And then behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart is our producer. We're previewing Richmond today on the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We've talked about a lot of stuff early on. We've talked about ACC coaching, but we got to bring it back to the spiders a little bit here. Game Saturday at noon from Lane Stadium. And usually when an FCS team beats an FBS team, it's because they have like an explosive playmaker who just has the game of his life and scores three, four touchdowns. Seems like Aaron Dykes could possibly be that guy for the Spiders. He has... 166 yards, three scores in three games this year, and he's also a pretty good kick returner as well.
2: Yeah, second week in a row, Virginia Tech has faced a very good kickoff returner. Uh, he, he does have a kickoff return for a touchdown in, in this season, and I think in 2019 he returned two for touchdowns. Uh, Tech did a great job last week against yeah. one of the nation's elite kick returners, and that was probably the most disappointing part is we sat on this podcast last week and highlighted kickoff <laughs> as as possibly a deciding factor in the football game. Like, whichever side gained an advantage could win the game. And if Tech shut down West Virginia and we could somehow manage to break off a big return, which I thought was possible, mm. then Tech would have a chance to win. Sure enough, that happened. And they got down into the red zone after that kickoff return. And
3: Did they not score on that
2: one? That was the that one was right, right before the half. Right before halftime. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Where, well, that, that was the, the missed field, mis- field goal. The review and the mm, missed field goal. Yep, yep, yep. Well, when you yeah. think
0: about it, defense and special teams set up Tech three times, and those mm-hmm. were the three red zone trips that they didn't get in. Yeah, the big well. kick return, the fumble, and the interception. Mm-hmm. That's kind All weird. to zero points. Yeah.
2: But, yeah, you know, Dykes is a good player. He hasn't put up as big a numbers running the ball as you would expect from somebody who's, like, a really good kickoff returner. But, you know, he can catch it some as well. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I would go so far as to say he's like their best offensive player, but uh, maybe he is the one that concerns me the most when you consider his contributions in two phases of the game.
0: Well, and they have a couple of decent receivers as well. Isaac Brown, Leroy Henley, they've combined for over 300 yards and three scores in three games, so... Maybe a little bit of a test from an FCS opponent against the Hokies. Again,
2: a bigger set of receivers that you don't necessarily see all the time. Uh, 6'3", 196, 6'1", 202. Yeah, right. uh, a lot of times at the FCS level, you see guys 5'10", or shorter, and like mm-hmm. 170 pounds, uh, just not really big guys. But that's not mm-hmm. the case with Richmond.
1: Yeah, Hens-
3: yeah, and, and Brown averages 16.1 yards per catch. That's that's pretty impressive.
2: And Hensley on the other side, 6'2", 215,
0: the biggest yeah. of the three as well. So. Definitely some possible playmakers for the Spiders on the offensive side. Looking at the Hokies, it's a little bit of a banged-up team. We saw Silas Janzi go down against West Virginia and still kind of a mystery who's going to be playing right tackle on Saturday. How important is it that the Hokies maybe can get some of their, their wounded players out of the game earlier, get up ahead, and use this bye
2: week a little bit more effectively? I'll, I'll really be looking to see who's going to play right tackle in this game. Yeah. If it's Jensen, I'm actually going to be mad cuz if he couldn't come back into the game against West Virginia then there's no way he could be 100% this Saturday. Right? Huh. So Dr. Don't, Dr. Coleman. Don't throw him out there in a <laughs> in a game that you're gonna win and just have him get hurt again, just like you did to Ricky Walker in 2018 against William & Mary which possibly cost Virginia Tech the Old Dominion game the very next week. Right. Or, or what you did to JC Coleman against you know Western Carolina back in right. 2013. Um, you know Mitchell last year, starting the game against Miami and or, or excuse me Liberty and only playing able to play five snaps. Herbert starting that game as a kickoff returner, but that was the only snap he could play. Like, how could you not know before the game that the guys aren't ready to play? That aren't that they aren't physically capable of playing. So don't play. So Seattle get C. all that ironed out. Yeah, is just what Chris is saying. Don't, don't say. play him. Yeah. is what I'm saying. Because there's no way he's going to be 100%. Uh, and, you, you know, you need to use this game kind of as an experiment to figure out if he can't go against Notre Dame, then who are you going to start at right tackle? Like, I know Silas Jansy can play football. He's he's honestly been our best offensive lineman this year. So you don't I don't need him to play against Richmond to be able to say, uh, oh, yeah, the, the only way he can play against Notre Dame is if he can play against Richmond. That's not true. Even if he missed a couple weeks of practice, I'm fine throwing him right back in there. Uh, Dude's been around long enough. We we Uh, already know he can play. Yeah, so I I hope – I I want to see Burmeister's contact limited this week. I'm an advocate of running him in big games that you might lose and not running him against the Middle Tennessees and Richmonds of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, kind of like Middle Tennessee, you know, I just hope, you know, the fourth quarter, you can watch the fourth quarter with comfort and (laughs) seeing, oh – Let's see how oh, Jalen Jones plays, or let's see how Cole Nelson plays, and you know it's an opportunity for development for a number of young players. And you know for for a while there, Virginia Tech football, I think they, from a player development standpoint, they got set back a little bit because they stopped blowing some of these non-conference teams out, which cost them the opportunity to develop some of these like guys. Like the
3: 2012 and, you know, to the 2015, it really kind of started around 2012, I think, yeah. when the offense went in the tank, right. And and every game became close. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so get some of those young guys in.
2: Uh, hopefully, like Dean Ferguson in the first half again. Yeah. Uh, just like you saw against Middle Tennessee earlier this year, I think he's got a bright future. And you, know, you got to be able to manage all that while also winning the game too. But I I don't think that's going to be a problem. I, I know there's been upsets and everything this year, and I know I know JMU lost to or beat Virginia Tech back when you were, like, nine, right? But Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah,
0: so. I was going into fifth grade. Yeah, I might have been 11 or 12, because uh, I was at the Boise State game. Okay. So, oh, gosh. okay no Yeah,
2: so it's... But it's just... Again, you know, i like, I just... Can they can Richmond win the game? Yes. Are they likely to? No. no. Not at all. Not even close to being likely to.
3: Hmm. So.
2: Well, and it could be
0: tough for the Hokies. Parker Clements, a guy that they're excited about and probably want to get game reps, and Jansy goes down. He didn't travel to West Virginia. You're hoping that he's available this week, could get some valuable reps. Yeah, uh,
2: he got 10 at the end of Middle Tennessee, and uh, it's kind of scary. He about got the backup quarterback killed, but uh, I, I think he's one of those guys who came in, played really well early in his career at Virginia Tech, but he's kind of hit a wall maybe a little bit, which you see with young players, but uh, he's still got a very bright future, but yes, would be ideal um i don't know if i want to start him um because richmond's defense is a solid defense uh i don't know if i want to start him at right tackle with uh you know you're starting quarterback potentially nursing a banged up shoulder but at the same time like i I don't i don't think brock hoffman's a good option over there either no <clears throat> um i, I don't know, actually i think i'd be all right with uh Oh, gosh. Well, Tyrell Smith over there from a pass blocking standpoint. Yes. But I don't think he's strong enough to to move anybody at the point of attack. Because we, we saw that on the fourth and short against West Virginia when they ran behind Tyrell Smith, was, which I didn't think was the right thing to do. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I just hope to see a number of young players getting time to, to develop along with a win, of course.
0: Well, the Hokies are looking to put that one away early. You look back, actually, the last time Richmond visited Lane Stadium, the Spiders left with a win. That was in 1985. Last time the Hokies played the Spiders was 1986. We've kind of been hinting at it. Want to let Will tell his story. He was at that game.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm more blown away about the fact that I don't remember the 1985 game. Um, <laughs>
2: that would have uh, been your senior year, right?
3: You know, I, I think I was sort of AWOL in 1985. Uh, um, I think I missed a couple games that year. Uh, a little bit I, of senioritis? I, no, I was a senior in oh, 86. Yeah, a senior in 86. Um, I think they got off to a bad start in 85 and, and wound up being 6-5. and five. They closed with some wins. Who knows? Maybe I gave up after the Richmond game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, I don't remember a whole lot about the 86 game per se. I know it was played in Richmond. So uh, I remember me and a bunch of college buddies drove there. There must have been 10 of us or something like that. And what's weird is I don't remember where we stayed or I don't remember anything around the game. I remember some of the game. Um, I think the final score was 17 to 10. Katie or anybody else, can you research the 1986 Richmond Tech score? Was it 17 to 10? You know. (laughs) Now, I also have in my head that Richmond Stadium seeded 17,000 fans. Maybe I'm just getting the 17 score confused with the 17,000. But, uh, of course, that was the year Tech won the Peach Bowl. And Chris Kinzer, at one point, made a ton of kicks in a row, like 13, 14, 15 kicks in a row. But that game was fairly early in the season, and that was the, the last kick he missed maybe all year. He, he may have even missed two in that game. So you had no inclination that this guy was going to – he made a 50-yarder in the rain to beat uh, um, Kentucky. He, of course, made the field goal in the Peach Bowl to win that. So he was he was very clutch, and he may have even made like 17 in a row, but I remember he missed a couple that day. And uh, the only thing I have to say about that game is that uh, uh, those of us that traveled, we got our picture on the front page of the Collegiate Times when we went to pick <laughs> up the newspaper. You know, there we were. So. so
2: with your Chris Kenzer comparison, so you just personally guaranteed that John Parker Romo is going to go on a big streak now.
0: He's <laughs> Kill it, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you said the final score, 27 to 10, was that your guess?
3: I picked 34 to 13, which means I think no. John Parker Romo is going to uh, no, be the nineteen eighty-six thought I thought it was 17.
0: 17 to 10, that's correct. Okay, right. yes.
3: Right. I can't remember any of the scores from last year, but I can remember one from 1986 <laughs> and no, I did not look that up ahead of time. That's totally from memory.
0: 1985 Virginia Tech lost 24 to 14 at home against the spiders the only other time that Richmond has beaten the Hokies in Blacksburg 1950 so long time ago
3: um, do you have the full history there? I do because Richmond had a running back named Barry Redden and there is a percentage of the YouTube chat that is reacting right now to the name Barry Redden. He was he was a really good running back. I think he wound up playing getting a cup of coffee in the NFL. He ran over Tech for 200 yards one time. Very frustrating game and but I don't think that was in Lane Stadium in 1985. I think Barry Redden was before then.
0: You can't click on any of the box scores, so you can't I guess there probably aren't box scores digitally for most of these, but
3: probably should've done more research ahead of time (laughs) on that one. Uh,
2: (laughs) Richmond with eight total wins against Virginia Tech in their series history. So they don't play very much anymore. I mean Tech's played William and Mary. They have played James Madison, play out of state FCS opponents, but like I don't think Virginia Tech has played Richmond in my lifetime. Not since well, 1986. 1986. Okay, well that's yeah. technically
3: in my lifetime, yeah. but I wasn't old enough to remember it. You okay over there, Malcolm? <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So anyway, that's not not great stories, but I, I do recall that. Well, there stuff. you
0: go. Yeah, yeah. Hokie's trying to make it two and o- two in a row against the Spiders, dating back to
3: 1986. <laughs> two yeah. in a row. Two in a row,
0: baby. <laughs> So, I believe we mentioned the YouTube chat. I think now might be a good time to check with Katie for some YouTube questions. Anybody uh, dropping anything good in there?
1: Yeah, not a ton of interaction today, but I do want to start with this question from Ian Campbell. It's kind of a three part question regarding Jaden Payute. He says, Why haven't we seen Payute? Should the staff consider trying to get Payute on the field to replace Turner or Robinson? He is 20 pounds heavier than both, which could help with blocking and creating separation. Or would it make sense to get paid on the field in a different position?
2: Well, we've seen him on the field. Those are good questions. Uh, he actually got the first drive of the second half of the West Virginia game. Trey Turner did not start the second half of the West Virginia game. I don't know if they were firing a shot across Turner's bow or something like that. Um, you saw a payout. I think he had nine or ten plays against West Virginia. Uh, they they actually threw a pass to they him. They targeted him once. And, and, uh, so he has been out yeah. there. He just hasn't caught any passes. Uh I think they should keep him at wide receiver, um, and I think they should take – I'm not opposed to giving him some more snaps. Um, He was also hurt during the preseason, so you have to consider that. But, uh, I mean, my my basic thought about the wide receivers in general, not just Payute, is I think they need to take a a hard look at wide receiver development when we get to the offseason.
3: I feel like we talk about that every podcast. Probably. (laughs) I actually did not know that he weighs 210 pounds. Yeah. I didn't either. So you you know that when he's healthy, he's tremendously athletic. We've seen him jumping into the back of Brock Hoffman's pickup truck, and and (laughs) he purportedly has some of the best speed on the team. So to answer the first question, why isn't he playing more, I I don't know. The only thing I can think is that that he did – it was his hamstring that he tweaked in practice, right? Yeah. Because that's – that and shoulders are the fall injuries. I'll
2: say this about Payu. you know, when they do have open practices at Virginia Tech, one of the things I like to do is when they're running pass scales, you know, everybody else kind of want to try to run away from the sideline because they don't want to get run over by players or hit with a ball or whatever. And I'm kind of the opposite. I want to get as close as possible. So they run these out patterns to the wide receivers, and I wait for the wide receiver to catch them, and I stand there. And then the wide receiver goes out of bounds and runs up the sideline as fast as possible. And I pushed, positioned myself where he's running at me as fast as possible, which sounds kind of dangerous, right? But I'm not, I'm not scared of stuff like that. Um, Meanwhile, somewhere so, Pete
3: Morris is going. I got to rethink that open meeting. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> but anyway, uh, so like Trey Turner catches that. Trey's a skinny guy. Like I don't get, I don't feel intimidated when Trey mm-hmm. is running at me in full speed. When Jaden Payut is running at me at full speed, I was like, I should get out of the way
0: because okay. that's, that's a
2: big dude.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting.
1: Sam Sweeney says, Would you rather see Virginia Tech play regional teams like Maryland, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia, et cetera, or teams like Wisconsin and Penn State?
2: Uh, it depends. Uh, I honestly have no interest in seeing Tech play Maryland. I've been to College Park once. I'm, not, and I'm, I'm just, not big
3: on that, and I'm not big on Kentucky either, and it has nothing to do with the belt ball. I just it bores me. I, uh, I, w- I would then, like yeah.
2: – I would like to play South Carolina. I would like yes, to play South Carolina home and home. That's the one. And I like that we're playing them in a neutral site game. I just hate that the game's in Atlanta. That game should be in Charlotte between the two schools and not all the way down yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to make them both travel yeah. south. Right. Yeah, and I, I just I just, I just, don't like neutral site games like that. I mean, South Carolina plays in Charlotte a lot. Why aren't they playing in Charlotte this time? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, w- I would like to see the West Virginia game continue. Everything we heard was that their fans were very well behaved on Saturday. And, and, I, and I think that's what college football is all about, man. You're going to lose some of those games. But... You know,
3: when, when Tech was in the Big East, they used to play Virginia. And I know it's an in-state team and all that, out of conference every single year. Why not make West Virginia be that yeah. team now? Now, as far as playing Wisconsin – that, my friends, will never happen. That has been scheduled. Andy Bitter will tell you that game has been scheduled off and on for probably close to twenty years. Uh,
2: he told me I think that he was actually in college when that game was originally scheduled, <laughs> and Andy's older than me, and the game still hasn't been played.
3: That 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 so. it's hilarious. So I'm, I maintain the uh, future schedules pages on Tech Sideline, and let me tell you, Wisconsin has been scheduled and pushed out at least four times. Yeah, and it's never Virginia Tech. It's it's always yeah. Wisconsin pushing it. And you know the whole uh, Penn State thing. My wife is a Penn State grad, and that was supposed to happen last year. I know. I, I know. There, I know a guy
2: in Blacksburg. He's retired. He's a Penn State grad, and he was. He, he doesn't pay much attention to Penn State football, although he does donate to their football program. We've had that conversation before. But anyway, his his roommate from college is like a gets an RV and goes to Penn State games like that. And they were going to have a college reunion down in Blacksburg for the Penn State wow. game last year, and they didn't get to do it. Yeah. Because of because the game got canceled because of COVID, uh, but
3: but what would I prefer to play? Um, I think probably more the Wisconsin's and Penn states, and you know, the whole Purdue thing. Purdue's not a good team, but it was interesting to go up to Purdue and, yeah. and, and see yeah. a game in their state. Yeah,
2: um, I you see some of these games like when Tech, it didn't we're scheduled to play Alabama at some point, like 2030. I want to say so,
0: yeah. Sure,
3: okay. I don't want to play Alabama anymore anyway. I don't anyway. want to play them anyway. We've done that. I mean, don't want to do it again. Tech does
2: play Vanderbilt in a few years, which would be fun. You're just counting your injuries at the end of the game. You play <laughs> yeah. Alabama. I mean, just, just if, if you if all your key players are upright, then it's a, it's a it's victory. It's a win. Yeah. Um. Right. So, like, I don't know if it did Miami any good to play Alabama that first week.
3: If I'm the ACC yeah. uh, and, and they, they come trying to schedule that game, I'm like, I'm not doing
2: it. I, I want to see, like... Not just like the level of competition. I don't really care about what conference a team is in or anything like that. I, just from a pure fan's perspective, I'd like some like a cool road trip. Like This won't excite most people. I'd love to play Army in a home-and-home. Home. Hmm. Um, actually, I'd lo- just love to play Army on the road. I think their stadium's right there on the Hudson River, uh, and I think that would be a beautiful game to go to in September. I think it'd be a great setting. Uh,
3: I don't get jazzed about playing UCLA. USC already done that. I'd like to play Oregon. You know,
2: yeah. Well,
0: mention Vanderbilt, Nashville. That's always a fun time to go. Well, out, we so.
3: Tech used to play Vanderbilt back when I was in college. They, uh, I think Ashley Lee set a Tech record with three interceptions. Oh no, the Ashley Lee record was, I think he returned two for touchdowns, interceptions for touchdowns, and they were they totaled like a hundred and ninety yards. They were or something really crazy long. like
2: that. Well, I was looking forward to the Middle Tennessee trip last year because it was so near yep. Nashville. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah,
0: that's right. Both of the Alabama games in Atlanta, those were both Georgia Dome games, right? That That's was correct. I do have to say, playing South Carolina in, uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I've been
2: to that stadium. It is fantastic. I, I, I flew through Atlanta this past spring, and you know, you look down on the city from above, and you and you can't miss that place. It's the one of the most unique looking buildings you'll see from the air. Uh, I,
0: I went there two falls ago so 2019 and it's just you walk in it's like you're in a spaceship like yeah. it's so different than any other stadium you walk into Yep, cool do we have one more
1: jumping back to this cornelson conversation before we wrap it up last one from jack fendrick he asked while cornelson may be better than tony elliot with lesser offenses with this being his and fuente's sixth year aren't they responsible for the lack of talent
3: yeah yep yeah.
2: i would say that i think uh I think they made some mistakes maybe with the type of quarterbacks that, that they they targeted it to a certain extent. Like, And I mean like Quincy Patterson. Quincy had a very, very high ceiling and still does. He's a really talented guy. But he started at such a low floor. that mm. I, mean, I mean, he only threw it like 80 times as a high school senior, and that was just throwing bombs down the field because he's just so much physically talented. He never actually had pure coaching and the little intricacies of being a quarterback. So he started way down here low floor uh, when he got to Virginia tech. So it was very unlikely that he was ever going to reach that ceiling. And even now that he's in North Dakota state, they're only letting him throw it like 10 times a game. So,
3: and, and yeah, there's some good highlights from their game the other day, but his receivers were also
2: why? Right. And they're such a strong running team. And it's just, I, Josh Jackson was the most cerebral cerebral quarterback they've had here. Yeah. And, he was showing big signs of improvement at least statistically as a sophomore but then he got hurt and transferred uh hooker actually took a look at him a little bit on uh huddle this morning because i was figured this conversation might come up and uh he's one of those guys he threw a lot of bombs and ran a lot when he was in high school uh his key development year was nicks due to covid like he he played pretty well as a redshirt sophomore and you knew his strengths and weaknesses at that point so you go into the offseason in 2020 saying okay this is what you want to focus on to improve and then there is no 2020 offseason um i i think uh i think i think in some positions they've recruited well like you can't say they haven't recruited well at wide receiver right i mean it's Tavion been a, was a four-star player. Trey was a four-star player. Peyut was a four-star recruit. I mean, Peyut was like number four in Virginia. Daryl Simmons
3: was a four-star. Yeah, yeah uh, Right,
2: right. Um, so, I mean, I just
3: – I think the, the issue there is more of a development. And, and it may be evaluation, too, because because there have been some four-stars to come in the program that yeah, – Elijah so, Boick was a four-star. Boick, right, right, Boick right. And, and Simmons were both four-stars, and they, they never
2: scratched. Yeah, I, I still think that's like – you can't have you can't be that unlucky right when all these guys who are at least high three stars are just not working out but to me to me it's like Trey and Tavian are still pretty much the same players when they were as freshmen and they were they were solid good solid contributors as freshmen Turner especially like the last four games of his true freshman season just went off he had there was three straight games where he had uh, a 45-yard gain. He was making plays on the Jet sweep, he blocked a punt for a touchdown. He was making big plays down the field in
3: the passing game. Was he a freshman the year he made the catch against UVA in yeah. the end zone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. And uh he, he's just the same guy as he was then. Yeah. He's the same size. Uh Holman Wiggins was the wide receiver coach then, and Holman Wiggins is now the wide receiver coach at Alabama. And you know, so and before that, you know, you had Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford. And they began their career at tech with Aaron Moorhead as their wide receiver coach. And he's now the wide receiver coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And then they ended their tech career with Holman Wiggins, who's now at Alabama. And I just, I just don't think the, the, the developments there. And I,
3: this comes up in every, every podcast, it does, every podcast. It does. but, but I mean,
2: I don't want to keep talking on it, but that's my answer.
3: But people keep asking. Yeah. So, so let's talk about quarterbacks instead. Um, future quarterbacks. Uh, I, I'm, <clears throat> I admit I don't really remember Tosh Bullock's film all that well. I remember him being, I'm, I'm think, <clears throat> watching and thinking he's a good prospect. Yep. So Bullock is a true freshman this year, or was he here last he's a true year? True, true freshman. True freshman. Alex Orgy, who's currently playing his senior year down in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's tearing it up. Yep. Um, if you haven't, you know, just just Google his name, Alex Orgy, O R J I, and just look at recent highlights. Dallas Morning News named him Offensive Player of the Week this past week. I think he had 400 yards of offense, and it was either six or eight touchdowns. I mean, and and he's a big kid. So he looks like a real promising prospect. I think the hard part about Orgy is going to be keeping him. Um, Yes. The more he has games like that, the more attention he's going to get from from other schools that can – back up the money truck
2: uh, and, and he was... <laughs> the nil truck um yeah if you recall malik willis who's now the liberty quarterback and possibly a first round pick he was committed to virginia tech at one point yeah and tech was originally going to take him as a cornerback but then they told him no we'll let you play uh qu-, i said they were going to take him as a cornerback okay. corner yeah. corner and the, but then they said you know what yeah we'll let you play quarterback but then auburn offered and
3: Beep, he wanted beep, to go to Auburn, and then that's the money truck.
2: Right, and then up. he never, and then he
3: never played at
2: Auburn, of course. So now he's at Liberty, and now he's a first first round pick, pick, right? Yep. Um,
1: Cameron so, so, Kelly kind of had that same. He, it's true. Oh, Virginia he's Tech my, and Auburn.
2: He's my favorite story. <laughs> uh, he was when he committed to Tech on Twitter. I'm proud to announce that I'm 200% committed to Virginia Tech, and you know, then he decommitted to Virginia from Virginia Tech, and then when he committed, announced his commitment to Auburn. A day or two later. Yeah. I don't know if it was a day or two, but he was, <laughs> a he couple was, he hours was later. I'm eight hundred percent committed to Auburn. And then he enrolls at Auburn in January and he's there for like six weeks and he enters the transfer portal. And I'm like so that's a complete uh, between those two schools you were a thousand percent committed and now you're about <laughs> to go to your third school. Yeah. He doesn't even start for Carolina, by the way.
0: Well and I haven't been keeping up with Demetrius Davis, but same story there as well.
3: Yeah, he's uh, I, I guess he's he's down at Auburn and um He's backing up Bo Nick's yeah. Um. Now the thing is,
2: I don't think Auburn can pull that trick this year. I mean, if if you're Virginia Tech, you just tell orgy, look, they signed this guy last year. Bo Nix is there. They got this guy who they stole from us last year, who's just as highly rated as you were. Yeah. You know, you're going to be more blocked there than, than you would here. Yeah. And well, the the money the money truck, as you like to call it, doesn't matter so much for him. His mom's a surgeon.
3: Oh. So, there so you it'd go. have to be a very large, money very large. By <laughs> the way, I'm not talking about cheating. It's now the NIL money truck. It's all above yes. board. It's all legal, you know. So I'm not accusing anybody of anything.
2: Well, and, and you would think Te- with, technically it is illegal. You can't use it on the recruiting trail.
3: Well, you take it. <laughs> take a look at the kid. Take a look at the kid who's who enrolled early at Ohio State. Correct the, the quarterback. So yes. the as you as 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 skipped. All right. So you know, so McEwenner, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers
2: correct so either he figured all that out on his own or you say explain it, it to him now technically that the they can't sit down with him and explain it but at the same time you can't, you can't monitor a one-on-one conversation right. Right. between coaches and prospects right. yeah so
0: well with orgy with bo davidson leaving you would assume maybe he was a big part of his recruitment i'm i'm not 100 yes, sure on this yes and
2: no but bo davidson you know it's one of those things if you're a coach you can or if you're just on the recruiting staff uh you can only communicate via like direct messages with those okay. guys. you cannot call them i don't uh, i don't even think somebody from the tech you might be able to answer this question uh i don't even think like technically speaking legally that you can answer the phone if you're on the recruiting staff and talk to a recruit i think you can only talk to them through like dm and do stuff like that
1: yeah, it's a majority DMs. Obviously, once September 1st hits, everyone, you know, things are going crazy. There's FaceTime calls and whatnot, but DM right. is the main form of communication. Right.
2: right, Yeah, so, I mean, I think it helped, but I don't think that was the primary. Okay. Like, I don't think you're going to come all the way to Virginia Tech from Texas because of the recruiting coordinator, who on a day-to-day basis, you're going to have very little interaction with.
3: Yeah, yeah and, th- and that position has a high turnover high, rate. Have right?
2: extremely high turnover rate. Yeah.
3: All right,
0: well... Good questions from the YouTube chat today. Before we get out of here, I forgot we want to do predictions. You guys wrote up your predictions in Chris's uh, preview, so well, I have them up here. I Can, can give you remind me of what my prediction was? So, Chris, you had gotta, 38 you to hear. 10. All of yours were v- relatively similar. Chris, you had 38 to 10. Mm-hmm. And then yep. Will was 34 to 13.
3: John Parker Roma with two field two goals. Two field
0: goals. David only has one field goal for John Parker, 31-14. <laughs> to 14.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> Now, with the caveat that collectively we are three and six on picking games. We're all one and two. I should be perfect. That's if true. I had
2: listened to my second instincts after those two that I changed my mind on, yeah. and I had actually gone back and changed my picks, I would be perfect. You
3: guys have
0: yet to split. You're a hundred percent I feel like Notre dame maybe that
3: that that might be maybe
0: yeah. somebody picks the hokies there
3: so so far in the in the fan poll in the prediction or, or in the preview article there's five hundred and sixty eight votes and and this is interesting uh Hokies win by eleven, 11 plus is sixty eight percent, and that to me represents a loss in confidence because for middle Tennessee state it was something like eighty percent or I think more. it may have been 88 percent or something like that yeah uh, so and, and I can probably find it here fairly quickly but uh, so it's 68 percent think t- two out of every three think, thinks that tech will win um, by 11 plus plus. and then so. the third one for the most part thinks the Hokies will win by 10 or less yes so, for, uh, for
0: the West Virginia poll Hokies win by one to ten was 50 the 54 <laughs> percent winner. Followed so, by Hokies so, win by 11+. So for Middle,
3: for Middle Tennessee, remember this is after beating North Carolina, for Middle Tennessee, 92% of the votes are that wow. Tech would win by 11+. plus. So two weeks later, the confidence isn't there. It's only 68% against Richmond. So, really? Interesting stuff.
2: So, and that's just because we just lost to West Virginia.
3: Well, and this sure. was just posted too, so it
0: could be a smaller sample size. We'll see how that changes.
2: Plus, and I can tell this by re- reading the boards, there's, there's still some fans who don't understand the difference between Middle Tennessee and Richmond. Richmond is an FCS program that can offer 63 scholarships, Middle Tennessee is an FBS program that can offer 85. Yep. There's a big difference here between the overall depth and, and talent in both programs. I'm not, I, mean, I think Richmond's a good FCS team. But uh, there is a difference. Like, if, like if coaches went went down and had a draft of players on both teams, I mean, you're you're going to find that uh, that you know, Middle, Middle Tennessee Tennessee, has better players. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, most of you, all three of you, are kind of in the same range. David has a 17 point Virginia Tech win, will 21 point, and then 28
2: point for Chris. So
0: okay. all would be in that 11 plus range, which I think is kind of the expectation heading into this one. If it's and not, we're going to have
2: a really rough set of questions on the podcast.
0: Next <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm feeling Monday's show would not be a fun. one. Brace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? I think we, we've gone through almost everything, even more than maybe we expected to, uh, Chris, what's coming up on tech before the game on set
2: inside the numbers tomorrow, which I'm, I'm pretty much finished with. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to to posting it and everything because I again I think we need to and I, I'm partly to blame for this because I still talk about traditional stats too, because but that's just really because like everything else does. I'm very much an advanced analytics guy. I think they they mean more because of the re- reasons I mentioned earlier. But uh yeah, I'll, I'll have some really I'll have some stuff in there that'll really make you you think. Yeah. The, well, the next time you look at total offense, total defense, yeah. and that's not the, the be-all, end-all of, of what's a good offense and what isn't.
3: So go, going back earlier the thing about Dax intercepting passes three three games in a row, at, at one point somebody brought up the name Jaron Hosley. He, he had ten interceptions in one year. Is that what you yeah, guys Uh say? Yeah. I want to
2: say nine. It, it, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was nine. It was a lot. Well, remember, three of them were against Russell Wilson in one game. Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah. That's just – What's is that equivalent to throwing for 4000 yards, 5000, I mean, running it might for be like
2: 6? That's that's. I mean, an, that's a
3: lot of interceptions. It's interception, interception man. 3
0: out of
2: every 4 games.
3: Wow. That's like why has not that, that not stuck in my head? Why have I not walked around daily thinking, "Wow, that's a hell of a season." I feel like interceptions
0: and sacks are kind of the same way with that. Like
2: if somebody has 10 and a half sacks in a season, like that uh, not, well, not not only do you like have to be good but like at some point, like the opposing team has to be stupid enough to keep throwing the ball at you, right? Yeah, good
0: and lucky, I guess would be my
3: that. sophomore year. I believe is my sophomore year. Bruce Smith had twenty-two sacks. And now 12. that's that's if a dropped back and just stood in the pocket, yeah, you right. know, and they did play William and Mary and Richmond and teams like that, and twenty-two sacks. That's a think lot about, about that. Body. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's just I mean, people like Bruce Smith and Corey Moore they're part of the reason why the game is what it is today with quick drops and things like that. Like yeah. there's no way you could get 18 sacks like corey Moore did no. these days. It's yeah.
3: yeah. Bruce had 22 as a junior and then 16 more as a senior. Probably
2: gotten some more double teams as a senior. Yeah, yeah he
3: did. And then I think he had four as a sophomore so he ended up with something like 42 sacks in his career. You just not. Yeah, so it took him.
2: him a while to develop, huh? <laughs>
3: <laughs> he he didn't really hit his stride until he was a junior. Yep. That's nuts. Unbelievable.
0: Well, I think that's gonna wrap it up for episode 193 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be back on Monday of next week to recap all things Richmond and look ahead to the bye week coming up before Notre Dame on October 9th. Want to thank everybody for joining us today on the set. Will Stewart, founder and general manager across the way. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my left, our lead analyst and columnist at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. I'm Jake Lyman, your host. We have our fourth chair today, Katie Adams, joining us for the first time. She will be back more consistently, and we're going to work her in a little bit more and more as the she uh, continues. She to set the along. bar pretty high. Does, she did. Her Twitter. It's
3: Katie Six Adams. Katie Six Adams, the number six. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. I did so,
0: not write that down. I'll have to have that next time. <laughs> give her a follow. So. Yes, she set the bar high with the trivia, especially. So that we're going to expect exactly the same of course, next time.
3: Yeah.
0: And then, as always, want to thank Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, doing a great job producing the show. Virginia Tech and Richmond, noon on Saturday. We want to thank you for joining us on episode 193 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We hope you enjoy the game, Hokies fans. We'll see you next week.